we will be in the 33rd Psalm tonight. We, can, we, we uh, had Psalm 32 last week. It was kind of a short psalm. We were able to finish the whole thing in one week. This one's a little longer, so we won't attempt to uh, tackle the whole psalm tonight, but we will look at the first nine verses of the 33rd Psalm. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 9. We'll give everybody a second to turn to it. Uh, It's possible that this psalm and Psalm 32 uh, would have been one long psalm when it was actually written. Now, uh, chapters that we have in our Bibles were not there when the the writers that wrote these words originally wrote them. They just wrote uh, these words out. We compiled them into what we call the Bible, and we added chapters to it, and we added verse numbers to it, but there were no chapters and verse numbers uh, when these things would have originally been written. Now, uh, the writers and the, and the scholars and the people, the translators, do their best to make it a little easier for us, and it's good that we have chapters and verses because it helps us to make sure we're all on the same page, so to speak. Uh, and so uh, sometimes, though, you have verses and chapters like this that may have initially been one long, drawn-out psalm, or maybe they were two separate psalms, but you can kind of see at the end of Psalm 32 and the beginning of Psalm 33 the same type of language there. So it's possible that this could have been one long psalm, or it could be two separate psalms. Either way, that doesn't really matter. Uh, but if you read them both back-to-back in one sitting, you can kind of see the flow through them as the end of chapter 32, or Psalm 32, I should say, uh, really talks about those who are righteous, and that's where we start off here in Psalm 33. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help me to preach and teach these words in a good way. I pray that you would just bring out of my mouth words that you would have us to hear, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead me, dear Lord, and I pray that you hide me behind the cross, and I pray that everything is for your glory and for our growth tonight, and we thank you that we can come and study these words. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm. There are some of the psalms that are transcribed. They have a little little, little writing at the, at the top of them or before they started as to what they were about or, or maybe who wrote them. Uh, this one we don't know for sure. It's, it's probable that David wrote this, although we don't know. Regardless of who wrote it, though, what has been written is good for us and something that we can learn from. In verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to Him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to Him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. Now here we see this idea of praise. Now most of the psalms that we see in the book of Psalms are psalms of praise. If you really look at them, the, the majority of them uh, are psalms of praise. Now, we also see a pretty good number of psalms of lament. That is, uh, lamenting something that went on. Uh, an enemy was coming against the writer, or some sin was in the writer's life. And we saw that uh, in the last couple of psalms that we looked at, uh, in particular, uh, psalms that David wrote about sinfulness that was in his life, situations that were going on in his life. And he was lamenting those things. Uh, But in some of them, we see both. We see it's a psalm of of lament and then a psalm of joy. 
Uh, some of them are like this one where it starts out, uh, and this is really a psalm of joy, a, uh, a psalm of praise to the Lord. And we need to take a note of this. Now, it's good for us to read psalms like this and see the writer, probably David or whoever it was, praising the Lord. But how many times do we do that? How many times have we ever sat down? Because that's what the writer of this psalm did. One day they wanted to praise the Lord. They were, they were excited about the Lord. They, they were filled with joy because of the Lord. So what did they do? They sit down and they begin to write out these words of praise to the Lord. They begin to write these, these praises. Oh God, you're good for this reason. Oh God, you're mighty. Oh God, I praise you. Oh God, you bring joy into my life. And all of these things, and that may be, that may be a healthy uh, habit for us to get into is to take time occasionally and maybe just sit down and on a piece of paper begin to write out our praises to the Lord. Lord, I praise you because you have taken care of me, because you have given me a, a, good, a good husband or a good wife, or you have given me beautiful children, or you have blessed us with money in the bank account so we can afford to eat food today, and you've given us beautiful grandchildren. And all of these things, if you sit down and you begin to write and you begin to praise the Lord, you may be surprised at what you can put on a piece of paper. Those things will just continually come to your mind. And just think about those things, those things that bring you joy, those things that God has done for you, those ways that God has blessed you, and those things are things that we sometimes need to focus on. And this psalm is a good reminder of that because it, it's easy for us, I think, sometimes for our prayer life to be, oh God, help me. Oh God, I'm having a bad day. Oh God, I need help. Oh God, I need you to forgive me. Oh God, this. And we're asking God for these things, and we're going to God with these things that are going on in our life, as we should, as God wants us to. But sometimes we may get so busy at asking God to help us and helping God to, to be with us in those tough times that we forget just to praise God for who he is. And it may be a good habit for us to sit down like the psalmist did and write out words of praise to the Lord. And that's exactly what we see in these first few verses here. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Now, who is going to rejoice in the Lord? It's the righteous. It's those who follow the Lord. It's not going to be the sinner who doesn't acknowledge the Lord, but it's going to be those who serve the Lord. And that's what it is for us to be Christians, is to serve the Lord. And we who are righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ are the ones who should be praising the Lord. And praise from the upright is beautiful. The psalmist says it's a beautiful thing when those who are the Lord's are praising Him. And it is a beautiful thing. And that should be uh, what our heart is focused on. When we come to assemble together to worship the Lord, we need to be doing just that. We need to be worshiping Him in song. We need to be worshiping Him through the study of His words and not just coming and singing songs just from our mouth, but singing songs uh, and praises to the Lord from our heart. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. It says, praise the Lord with the lyre and make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Now, a lyre is a kind of instrument. It's a stringed instrument. It looks very similar uh, to the harp. Now, we see several different types of instruments mentioned in Scripture. We talk about the clanging of the cymbals, and we see lots of different instruments mentioned in Scripture, and it kind of boggles my mind that there are some churches that are opposed to anything other than a piano when scripturally uh, there's plenty of scriptural evidence to support that, look, when we are praising the Lord, it doesn't have to be 
be limited to a piano. It could be limited to a, to a plethora of different instruments. And I believe that we, a good example of that is every month, the last Sunday of the month, we have people that have played all kind of different instruments in here. Saxophone, clarinet, or no, flute, uh, guitar, drums. I mean, anything you can think of, there has been somebody here that's played it. And the instrument doesn't matter as long as the instrument is being played for the glory of the Lord. And the psalmist here says, break your instruments out. Make a good song. Uh, play this music to the Lord to show you are praising Him, to show that you are worshiping Him. Don't play a song just because you want to play a song, but let that song come from your praise to the Lord. Let your excitement for the Lord be what drives you to play music for the Lord and to worship Him. It says, sing a new song to Him, play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. Now, I don't know exactly what it means to play a new song. I don't think that that means that once we've sung a song for a couple of years and it's old that God's tired of it and we need to sing a new song. I don't believe that's at all what that means, although it's good for us to continue to sing new songs and praise the Lord that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, every, every year new songs are coming out and they are bringing praise to the Lord. And as time progresses on, we learn new songs and they may have a different style to them, uh, but praise the Lord. They are all worshiping Him no matter what the style of music may be. If it's to praise the Lord, that's a good thing. It says here, though, to sing a new song. Perhaps it's simply saying, uh, look, uh, there's been a change in your life. God has brought joy to your life. The old song of the, of the bad that was going on, or maybe the old song of the old self, what you used to sing and what you used to do, do away with that. You have been restored. You have been refreshed. Your attitude needs to change, and your song needs to change. You need to change your tune, so to speak. Perhaps you've said that before. Somebody's said that to you. You had a bad attitude, or you said something you shouldn't say, or did something you shouldn't do, and somebody said, you better change your tune. Well, what they mean is you need to stop acting the way you're acting, and you need to act better. And with the Lord, we need to change our tune because when we come to the Lord and we are His, then guess what? Boy, that's a, that's a joyous feeling. And so naturally our song changes and we sing a new song to the Lord because we are a new creation in Him. In verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right and all His work is trustworthy. Now this is this is good stuff for us to focus on this verse because it says, for the word of the Lord is right. And that's what the Christian lives by. The Christian lives by the word of God, or at least we should live by the word of God. Uh, for Jesus said, look, man cannot uh, live on uh, bread alone, but on every word of God. And so that's where we go to for our strength. That's where we go to to learn what God wants to teach us is to the scriptures. And when we read the scriptures, now this is important for us to remember, that when we read the scripture, everything in the scripture is right. Now, it's important for us to remember that because some of the things that we read in scripture are hard truths to accept, are things that, that, that seem really tough, are things that we don't want to believe, are things that maybe we don't want to acknowledge are true or right because that's going to make it hard on us or it's going to make it difficult on our life. And there are things in God's Word that we may not want to accept or may, we may not want to live by. But whether we like what it says or not, it is always right. Now, I understand that God's Word is difficult, and sometimes we may not always get God's Word right, 
Or we may not always interpret it properly uh, because it's difficult. Translated through a few different languages throughout the centuries, it's, it's, it's difficult to sometimes understand what God's Word says. And there are times that we, in reading God's Word and studying it, may not always get it right, but God's Word is always right. And if we don't get it right, it's not because of God. It's just simply because we don't have the ability or maybe we haven't matured enough to fully dig into and understand God's Word for what it means. But when we read God's Word as a Christian, we must go into it knowing that every word that we read is yours, Lord. It has been breathed by you, and it is right. And we should strive as Christians to live by that right word even when it's a hard word for us to accept. And all his work is trustworthy. There is nobody else in the world uh, that will not let you down other than the Lord. Even people who are really close to you, even people who love you greatly, there are going to be times in their life that they are probably going to let you down. But God is never going to let you down. He's always going to be trustworthy. When he says that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven, and one day he will return and we will be with him and every tear will be wiped away and we will leave this old sinful world away, when God's word tells us that, we can trust that. When God's word tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love him, guess what? We can trust that. Even though it doesn't seem like things are working together for our good, even though it may not seem like God is intervening in our situation, even though it may not seem like God is there with us, we can know that he is. Well, how can we know that? Because his word tells us that Time after time after time, and the psalmist tells us here that his word is trustworthy. His work is trustworthy. Verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Now, the Lord loves righteousness. That's, that's a pretty uh, easy one for us to accept. He likes for us to, to not live in sin. He likes for us to be righteous and to do the right thing and be men and women of integrity who faithfully serve Him and don't turn to idols, who don't let uh, sin rule in our life. God loves for us to be righteous. Uh, but he also says that he loves justice. Now, that's kind of a, a tough one. Now, we have to realize that God has that trait, that he does care that justice is to be served. And as Christians, uh, we, we should carry that same trait and that same desire within us if we are created in the image of God. Now, that uh, may be a difficult verse for some to wrap their head around. And uh, whenever we talk about justice being served, I believe that we uh, leave justice to be served in the hands of those who God has appointed. Uh, the Scripture says that God has appointed governments to be in charge so that they may wield the sword. And so when it comes time for justice to be served, uh, whether it be a criminal who has committed some uh, heinous crime, whatever punishment is just, we leave that to the governments that God has given the ability to wield the sword to bring justice. The proverb says that uh, it detests God to, uh, to, to, to punish the innocent, and it also detests God to let the guilty go unpunished. And so uh, there is a justice that must be served, and we see that sometimes in this life, and we will ultimately see that when Jesus Christ returns and God deals with everyone and justice is served. 
Uh, vengeance is the Lord's, the Bible says. So we must be careful uh, that we don't fall into that trap of wanting to get revenge against people or wanting to uh, bring justice upon them ourselves. Uh, there are times and there are places and there are things that people may do to us. And if there are uh, higher officials or higher bodies that need to take care of those things, then sh so we should to let the, those higher officials take care of those things. But for us as the Christian, uh, it's important for us to forgive people. And when we forgive people, what we are essentially saying is, is we are giving up our right to give revenge to them. We are giving up our right to say, you know what, I'm done with that. Before we forgive people, our heart may desire to and, and, and have a natural bent toward wanting to get back at people, to say, I'm going to get back at them, they did this to me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt them, and I'm going to get back at them too. And that's what all of us do. That's something that we all struggle with. And as we grow in Christ, he helps us to overcome that to some degree, but boy, the devil's always going to be there with those temptations in our heart. But when we forgive someone, what we are essentially saying is, I've given up my right to, uh, to, to bring punishment to them or to get back at them. I have, I have put what they've done uh, out of my control. And not that we have necessarily uh, forgotten it. I don't know if that saying is true, forgive and forget. I don't know if that's biblical or not. But when we do forgive, we're saying, God, I'm going to let you take care of whatever needs to be taken care of, and I'm not going to do it on my own. And that's exactly what God does for us. When God forgives us, our sin is no longer charged against us. He can no longer hold that against us because he has forgiven us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And once we are washed in that blood, when we stand before the Lord one day, the Lord will not charge that sin against us. We will not be punished for that sin because God has already forgiven us of that if we've come to him and asked for forgiveness. And when God forgives us, that takes away his right to punish us because he's done away with that sin through the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so that should be our desire, not to bring justice on our own, but let the Lord do the justice, uh, bring the justice, uh, see that justice is carried out. But let us strive to be those who forgive those who may come against us and not hold it against them. Verse 6, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters by the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Now, uh, we see language like this that talks about the, the awesome uh, power of God that uh, when it comes to all of creation, we look around and we see earth, which is huge. We see stars, which are huge. We see a sun. We see trees. We see a whole solar system. Uh, there are all these things that make up the universe, and to us, they are huge. To us, they are. It's it's hard for us, or for me even, to fathom how large the universe is and how far it could possibly go, and we don't even know. But to God, these things are things that He can speak into existence in a moment, in a breath. He can create a whole world. He can create a whole universe. Uh, in an instant, he can gather up the seas into a heap, it says, the deeps into storehouses. 
Now, when we look at our planet, 70% of our planet is water. That's a lot of water in this world. But to God, it's nothing. It's something that He can just swoop up in a moment. Like if we were to go in uh, to, a, to a creek or to a pond or something and just scoop up a handful of water, well, we would only have just a tiny amount of water, not even enough to notice. But God, in all of His power, He can swoop up all of the waters, all of the oceans, and He can uh, heap them up in a pile, or some translations may even say, uh, bottle them up. And verses like this remind us of the awesome and great power of the Lord and what He has done, that He is over everything, that He is all-powerful, and that in a moment He can speak, in a moment He can control everything, and He does control everything since He has created everything. Verse 8, Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. Now, that's good instruction for us. Uh, in verse 8 there, it says, Let the whole world tremble before the Lord. Now, we may say, well, why should we tremble before the Lord? We know that God is, 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 is good. We know that the world is full of His unfailing love. The psalmist just said that. But I do believe that, there, that, that, it, that it, it is natural for us as Christians when we really focus on the Lord and think about how great He is. When we really think about our sinfulness and how wretched we are, I don't think it's uncommon for the Christian maybe to tremble and think, whoa, God is, God is good. I mean, God is, God is big. God is a God of wrath, but God is a God of love. And when we look at all the aspects of God, and when we think of what He's created and that He loves us and that He has forgiven us, uh, perhaps it does cause us to tremble as the song uh, we sing sometimes. Uh, uh, it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. The whole earth should have a fear of the Lord. As the Proverbs say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that the world should stand in awe of Him. When is the last time that, that you have really sit down or stood up in awe of the Lord? I mean, do we, just, do we just like read His Word and we go through and we say, okay, God's good, God forgive me, God I love you, God I know you can create these things. But how often in our life as a Christian do we really stand in awe of the Lord? Do we really sit down like the psalmist here is doing and begin to write out how great God is and begin to list out all the great things God does and begin to list out the power of God and really appreciate who He is and what He is and His, and His awesome power? The psalmist here says that we need to stand in awe of the Lord. Perhaps that's something that, as I mentioned earlier, that may be a healthy habit for us to get into occasionally where we sit down and we begin to list out and we begin to, to, to just write and we begin to, to, to physically not just sit there and think about it, but, but really put it down and begin to let the Holy Spirit speak through us and focus us on the Lord so that we can be in awe of Him. For he spoke and it came into being, he commanded, and it came into existence. Who else can do that other than the Lord? No one. There's no one that has the power of the Lord. And the all-powerful Lord that can speak everything into existence wants to be the Lord of your life. The all-powerful Lord who was with His people all throughout the Old Testament, who was faithful to deliver them and be with them and guide them and instruct them, is the same powerful God who is with us today, who is with us, who desires to lead and guide and instruct us through His words and through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if we are not praising Him, if we are not... Uh, 
shouting for joy and receiving joy from Him, if we are not in awe of Him, then maybe we need to pray about that this week and just give God some of our time and really give Him our heart. Not just give Him a few minutes here and there, uh, not just read a couple of verses just to say we did it, but really sit down and give the Lord our heart. And when we do that and we begin to open up and pour out, we may be amazed at, at, at what the Spirit does in our life and the joy and the peace and the heart of praise that He places in us. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You tonight and we thank You for these words. And God, these words are convicting because, God, so many times I just get so busy with life and just get through the habit of reading Your Word or, 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 or singing these songs, dear Lord, and my heart's not always in it. So I pray, God, that you would help me and maybe others if they need to, uh, to, to just take some time this week to really reflect, reflect, to really just stand in awe of you, dear Lord, and give you the praises that you are worthy of. And God, we thank you for, uh, for, for, for loving us. And we thank you for taking care of us. We thank you for giving us reason to praise you. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help us to do that tonight and in the days to come. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.